In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As it is that we read now, here it is, we're on the third Sunday of Elijah. Jesus is still talking to us in parables, but he's giving us parables. Now here it is, the second half of Matthew chapter 13. He talks about the weeds that are growing among the wheat. In the first half of the chapter of chapter 13, which we read last week, is the parable of the sower, the seed that falls on the four different types of grounds, right? How receptive we are to the word, how receptive we are at listening to God's word and taking it in and either accepting it or rejecting it or maybe becoming too busy for it, whatever it might be. But now that it is that we've accepted the word, now Jesus gives us another parable, which by the way, he speaks to us in many parables. It would be very easy for Jesus to just, to just come out and say, well, this is how I want you to learn it. Here it is. Here is the rule that I want you to follow and go. I want you to be good people and go. I want you to understand the mystery of the kingdom is a mystery and go. No, no, but he doesn't do that, right? He gives us parables. Parables where if you can take just one parable, you can literally talk about it for the entire year. That's how much depth there is to this. And each parable, once you read it, right here it is, just an ordinary image of a farmland, of wheats, of wheat that is growing, and weeds that grow among it. That's it. Ordinary pictures. And Jesus says, look. Look at this ordinary thing. And look at the spiritual meaning behind it. There's many layers to it. We'll get into the layers in a moment. Right? I want to talk a little about each of the three parables that he gives us today. Right? And how it is that it reflects our lives as disciples of Christ, as disciples who are making our way, as students of Jesus who are making our way on the spiritual life, what does it mean for us? Right? Here is the story that Jesus gives us today of the wheat and the weeds that grow among the wheat. Here is this man, this farmer, who sows good seed. And as it is that he sows good seed, he takes care of his farmland, takes care of everything, but as it is that he is asleep, remember, being asleep in a spiritual life means you're letting your guard down, you're letting sin in, you're letting the evil in, whatever it might be. As it is that he is asleep, his enemy comes and sows bad seed in his garden, in his farm. And as this happens, as he begins to realize what it is that's happened, his servants come up to him and say, here are these weeds that have grown among the wheat. What should we do? Should we pluck them out? And the farmer says, no, don't do that. To all those who are listening to Jesus at the time, there's a very good reason for it. You see, the weed, as it grows along the wheat, looks almost identical to the wheat, to the good stuff that you want. So when you pull out the weeds, you're also by accident going to maybe pull out some of the wheat. And then the harvest doesn't become as much. Then you're ruining some of the harvest. You're destroying some of your crop. So the farmer says, no, wait until it's fully grown, and then pluck it out. And then be able to separate the weeds from the wheat. The bad plants from the good plants. But there's a danger this, right? Here is this evil thing that's growing along this good thing. It's a strange thing. It makes no sense. But out of this comes a spiritual truth. My friends, we all have struggles in our lives. All of us have struggles, we have something that we deal with, we have some sort of evil in our life, some sort of trial, some sort of suffering, whatever it might be. All of us know of something in our life that brings me great anxiety, brings me great struggle. I'm trying to resist this thing in my life, and yet here it is that it comes, oh how I wish that this would be taken away from me. 
How I wish this would just go away. But strangely enough, in the spiritual life, as it is that we make our way toward Jesus, that there are some things, some good things that happen in our life, or some understandings in our life, that can only come about because of some sort of suffering, of some sort of resisting some sort of evil, of some sort of trial or some sort of problem in our life. What do I mean by this? Well, let's take a step back, right? On a very simple level. You know, if we imagine kind of, you know, for parents, you can imagine during that time, or even for us, when it is that for the first time in, in, you know, five years since a child is born, they're going off to kindergarten, right? Maybe you remember it, maybe you remember your kids going through it, whatever it might be. But as they're going off to kindergarten, this is their first time from away from their parents. Maybe parents might, might kind of cry a little bit. Maybe the kids might cry. Here it is, they're going into a scary place. There's a lot of this... This, the suffering that's going on, right? New people, they don't know what's going on. And everything is just overwhelming. And oh my goodness, it's, it's quite the suffering, right? For the 18-year-old who's going off to college, first time away from home, whatever it might be. For someone who's starting off on a new job, here are the weeks before the new job. And as it gets closer and closer and closer, and finally the first day of that job, and you have all this anxiety and this pressure to perform well, whatever it might be. And then finally, right, the first day comes, and you're going through that. We could say, man, that's terrible. Take that away from them. Take that away from the kid. That kid going through kindergarten, you don't need them. You don't need to experience that. Take away their suffering. You could say it's the 18-year-olds living in the house. Take that away. That's, that's terrible. That suffering shouldn't be in their lives. To the person who has the, the first day jitters, the first day anxiety, the first day suffering, you could say, take that away from them. But they won't experience the greater joy the greater understanding when they go through that, that challenge, that trial. Take it a step further. How many people do we know in our lives or how many people are suffering from diseases, right? From cancer. All these great, these great kind of disabilities and whatever it might be. How many people go through that? We want to say, that's terrible. Take that away from them. But when we look at it in the eyes of Jesus, when we look at suffering in the eyes of Jesus, and realize that through suffering we can learn, we have this greater depth of understanding, we have this greater courage that comes about, and this greater love that happens because of the disease that takes place, because of whatever happens that might begin to afflict us, then we, begin, we can begin to see things as God wants us to see. Would that person have had as great as courage, or as great a faith, if they didn't go through those things? Probably not. Take it a step further. Think of something like the Holocaust. We all know what the Holocaust is. We know how great, how so many millions had died. There are saints that have been produced from the Holocaust. Look them up. St. Edith Stein. St. Maximilian Kolbe. St. Maximilian Kolbe being this Polish monk, this Polish Franciscan, who ended up hiding Jews away from the Germans. And as it is that he hides them from the Nazis, he's captured and found out, and he's sent to a concentration camp as he sent to a concentration camp, there was one day that in the camp, one person runs away, and so they line up all of the men in the camp, and every tenth is going to be starved to death. To show everyone else in the camp what they shouldn't be doing. That you can't run away from them. And so as they're choosing every tenth man, the man that's standing next to Maximilian Kolbe is chosen. The man falls to his knees and says, I can't, I can't go. I have a family, please spare me. And so St. Maximilian Kolbe stands up and says, I will go on his behalf. I will suffer for him. Great evil. 
But in that great evil, there's an opportunity to be a saint. There's an opportunity to live for Jesus, right? There's an opportunity to live for Jesus. And this is what St. Paul gets at in his first reading. How beautiful. How beautiful that St. Paul says this. It is with joy that I live in Christ. To die is to gain. It makes no sense. To suffer is to gain. In order to suffer for Christ is gain. In order to suffer Christ is to win. When it is that we are given the chance to suffer for Him, when we look upon the cross and we say, Jesus, I see you suffering on the cross, I also want to suffer. In the little things as well as the greatest of things. No matter how big my sufferings get, guess what, Lord Jesus, I do this for you. I suffer for your glory. I suffer and in my suffering, I begin to understand more and more of your love for me and more and more of how I should love. I come to a greater understanding of what it truly means to be able to look upon the cross, to look at the cross and say, that is glory. That right there is glory. My friends, that's what we're looking for. Glory. We're looking for glory. We're looking for that understanding. We're looking for that deeper spiritual insight. And that's what we're going to. And in that, in that God says, Jesus tells us, that we are to build up the kingdom of God. And that's why he gives us a second parable. The mustard seed. Here is the small seed that has planted the smallest of seeds, Jesus says, and yet it grows to be a great tree. When it grows to be a great tree, here are the nests being made by birds that call this tree their home. And now for, for us, we are called to imitate that same example. Have that little bit of faith. Plant that little bit of seed wherever it is that you go in your life and plant that little seed with great faith and let God do the rest. We look at the great things the church has done in 2,000 years that it's been on earth. The Franciscan started as just one man, St. Francis, who leaves behind everything, leaves behind his family's riches and goes off to recreate the church. He goes, he prays that his church has been destroyed by weather, by bad everything. It's a terrible church. And he listens to it and hears the ruins of this church. And he listens to the crucifix that's still there. And he hears Jesus saying, rebuild my church. And so St. Francis says, okay, I'm going to rebuild my church. Or your church, Lord, right? I'm going to rebuild your church. And so he begins to rebuild this little church in the town of Assisi. Begins to rebuild it. Ten people join him. And then a few others, and then a few others, and then a few others, right? Some join it because of curiosity. Some join it because of... Um, just kind of, you know, moved by the way in which he works. And suddenly, that small group of, of just a few handful of people become the largest, even to this day, the world's largest group of Franciscan monks. They go around the world serving the poorest of the poor. Small seed, big effects. He leaves it to God. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa goes and she feels a calling in her heart to see those who are dying on the streets of Calcutta and all over India. And she sees those who are dying and no one pays them any attention. People pass them by as it is that they're living the final days of their life. And so he takes up, she takes up, she takes up one of these old people who are dying, brings that person to, his, to a home and lets that person die with dignity. Now it becomes a service all throughout the world. There's a group of sisters in the U.S. called the Hawthorne Sisters. When many hospitals refuse to take in someone uh, that's ravaged by disease or cancer, whatever it might be, when the hospitals have given up, this one person who started, the nun who started the Hawthorne Sisters, took that first patient, so ravaged by cancer, hospitals have given up, puts her on the couch of her own home and lets her die with dignity. Small seed, great faith. So plant the seed, 
Let it take off everywhere else. Hawthorne Sisters now operate all over the U.S. My friends, when it comes to the last pair, the leavening of the bread, order among how it is that God wants us to order our lives. When we look out the world, the world is full of selflessness. The world, selfishness, the world is not at all proclaiming selflessness. It's not at all proclaiming love, but it's proclaiming my interest, me, 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 me. Selfie generation, selfie this, selfie that, selfie this, right? Here's what I'm doing, here's what I can do, here's how I'm getting ahead. Who cares who I step on to get ahead? As long as I'm here in life and everyone else is below me, as long as I get my achievements, whatever it might be, selfishness. When there is selfishness, selflessness. When there is this greed, when there is this incompassion for others, that's where we proclaim love. Those same values you want the world to see. Proclaim in your own lives. And when you proclaim those in your own lives, then when you pass it on to your family, we go out into the world and we sow seeds. We sow those seeds in the heart of others. The word is meant not to be kept to ourselves. The word is meant to be planted to others in the world with that great love. Plant it in the world with great love, but show it in your own heart. Understand what it is that you're going through. Understand how it is that you are receiving the word of God. And then go out there. Go out there to proclaim the word. Go out there to proclaim Jesus Christ. Go out there to proclaim the way, the truth, and the life. Amen?